Hi, this is Adam Bergman, Irie Financial. On today's Adam Talks, I'm going to be talking about inherited IRAs. So this is a, I think, a really important topic because there's a lot of distinctions about what happens when you inherit an IRA. And there is a good and bad news situation when you inherit an IRA, clearly. The bad news is someone you probably knew very well and loved just passed away because that which triggers the action of inheriting something. But the good news is hopefully that person saved a lot for retirement and now has left you a good chunk of money in a tax deferred or tax free account, i.e. Roth, that you'll now be able to benefit from. So there's a couple things to consider when looking at an inherited IRA. The first is whether you're a spouse or a non-spouse. So let's take the spouse first. So God forbid your spouse passes away and you are the primary beneficiary of the IRA. Clearly, that's the most common way to inherited IRAs is spousal. Um, in fact, in most states, uh, especially community property states, you actually need your spouse's consent if you want to have someone else, a non-spouse, for example, as a primary beneficiary to the IRA. So you can't just put your boyfriend or girlfriend or kids even, or brother or sister or parents as a primary beneficiary if you're married. Most uh, custodians, including ours, IRA Financial, depending on the state, will require spousal consent to allow you to appoint a, another primary beneficiary other than the spouse, which I've gotten some pushback on saying, it's my money, why can't I leave it to my kids first, my parents, the rules are the rules, especially in community property states. If the IRA uh, was, was uh, is community property, marital property, you can't do that anyway. So we pretty much have a blanket policy that if you're gonna leave an IRA to a non-spouse primary beneficiary, you're gonna get their consent. So now let's say, God forbid you pass away and you're under 70 years old, the spouse generally, if the spouse is under 70, will just move the IRA into his or her name. So John Doe passes away, the IRA, if John Doe's under 70 and Jane Doe's under 70, Jane Doe will now have the IRA in her name. And then when she turns 70, she'll take requirement of distributions. If Jane Doe is over 70, again, it will go into her name generally. And then she could take RMDs based off her age expectancy. So spousal is pretty easy. Generally, the spouse will put the IRA in their name or uh, his or her name, whoever is the surviving spouses. Now let's go to non-spousal. A little more tricky. So non-spousal, you can break down into individuals and trusts. So non-spousal individuals, anyone that's not a spouse, i.e. children, friends, cousins, aunts, uncles, siblings, parents, there's different rules. So with non-spousal IRAs, the way it works is as follows. Generally, the IRA um, will go to the non-spouse and the distributions will be based off the age of the non-spouse. So there's a table the IRS releases each year that you would follow when it tell you how much money you would have to take out of that IRA each year to satisfy the requirement and distribution rules. And now you're going to break that even further to say, okay, did you receive a traditional IRA or a Roth? Traditional IRA, those distributions are subject to tax. And a Roth, generally, if it's a non-spouse, they would not be subject to tax, although an RMD would be 
required. So one thing with Roth, if you leave a Roth to a spouse, inherited Roth IRA to a spouse, that spouse can put the Roth in his or her name, no RMDs, okay, as long as they wait till after 70 and a half, they don't have to take an RMD where they would with a pre-tax IRA. Non-spousal, you have to take an RMD. The distinction is it's not taxable. Whereas a pre-tax IRA, you have to take, a spouse would have to take an RMD if over 70 and a half. Non-spouse would also have to take an RMD, even if it's pre-70 and a half, would be subject to tax, where the Roth wouldn't. And the, the amount you take out is based off a life expectancy table, and you would just multiply the fraction based off the amount uh, of the account as a 1231, and you would get the RMD. For example, our trust company, IRA Financial, would help you solve these problems and help you t uh, figure out what the RMD amount is. Our software will be able to tell you that. The RMD generally is as a 1231. It needs to be taken uh, from, if 1231.18 needs to be taken by the next year, 1231. Um, so you have uh, time to take it, but you need to take it. If you don't take it, there's penalties. So it's important to take the RMDs uh, in the allocable time. Uh, it's a way, why, why is this whole RMD thing there? Clearly, the IRS has given you the power to save or your um, the individual that had the IRA had this ability to save for retirement, whether it was tax deductible or not. They had the power of deferral or tax-free investing. And then ultimately, the Treasury is saying, we want some of that back. As of now, the RMD age is still 70 and a half. There was legislation in the RESA and SECURE Act passed by Congress and the Senate in 19, which was expected to be the law in some form in 19, which I don't think will ever pass or ever come to a vote because of uh, impeachment and other issues Congress and Senate are working on. But there was a um, provision to increase the RMD from 70 and a half to 72. That hasn't passed yet. That will pass at some point in 1920. At some point it will. So the RMD will go, in, go up. Now a trust, a lot of people talk about hey, we're going to move RMDs to a trust instead of an individual. So we're going to name, let's say it's not a spouse, okay, non-spouse, instead of naming a person, we're going to just name a trust, which a lot of trust state planning attorneys like. There's obviously estate planning, there's uh, credit protection, and there's also, depending who the beneficiary is, if they're a minor or not, there are some controls. The problem with having a trust as a beneficiary is just a five-year RMD cycle. So you have to take all the money out in five years. Whereas if you leave it to an individual, even a non-spouse individual, they're going to have a lot longer time because it's based off their life expectancy, right? A lot of people talk about what's called a stretch IRA, where you leave a non-spouse to an IRA to the youngest person because if you leave a IRA to someone who's in their 20s versus someone in their 60s, the person in their 20s is gonna have a lot longer to take that money out. And thus, since they're pulling less money out, assuming the IRA is growing, that IRA is gonna keep growing for a longer period of time, having more money in the IRA. Why? Because IRAs grow without tax. It's called tax deferral, compounded return. I keep repeating this, but it's facts. Albert Einstein, Warren Buffett, eighth wonder of the world, compounded returns are the secrets to generating wealth. All the wealthy and smart people know about it, and that's the power of the IRA. So the longer your money stays in the IRA, longer you have the power of deferral and compounded return. So if you leave, to, you leave your IRA to a non-spouse that's 70 or 60 versus someone who's 15, 20, or 30, that younger person's gonna have more time to grow that IRA, take less out each year, 
ultimately is going to have more uh, deferral, more rewards when uh, he or she pulls that money out. So uh, the SECURE Act and RESA Act that I just mentioned, they actually are, there's provisions in there to limit the stretch. But again, those haven't passed yet in 19, so we'll see where it goes in 20 or 21. But right now, there's no limitation on the stretch. Uh, but putting this all together, a few things to remember. Spousal's easy. If you leave your IRA to a spouse, it just goes into his or her name. Non-spousal, a few things to remember. Uh, individuals versus trust. Trust, five years. Individual life expectancy. Stretch IRA, you may want to leave it to a younger person. They have a longer period of time to pull it out. Back to the spouse. Pre-tax IRA, the spouse would take RMDs based off his or her life because the IRA would move into his or her name. Roth, there'd be no RMDs if it goes to a spouse because why? The spouse is going to move the IRA to his or her name. And then the Roth from Jane Doe will go to John Doe. John Doe doesn't have to take RMDs even after 70 on a Roth. But once John Doe passes, it, passes the IRA to a non-spouse, the non-spouse has to take RMDs of the Roth uh, even though there's no tax, but RMDs are required. Whereas pre-tax, non-spouse, RMDs are required, but there is tax. So just a couple things to keep in mind. Remember, you can always ask your tax professional. If you're working with a company, even a Fidelity or even an IRA Financial, um, there'll be someone there who can help you navigate these rules. The RMD is based off the value of the account as of 1231 generally. So that will dictate the value based off your age. That will tell you how much you need to put out each year. If you are just over 70 without the inherited IRA rules, you're generally looking at about 3% each year. But once you go into the inherited world, the fractions go up a little bit and it's more than 3% because the IRS wants you to uh, eat up that money uh, sooner rather than later because they need that money. That's all taxable revenue, especially in the pre-tax world. A little bit different. Um, in, the, in the 401k world, if you pass away with a 401k, Generally, the money will then go to a beneficiary uh, in an IRA. Why? Because if you work at Apple and you have an Apple formal account, God forbid you pass away and you leave it to a spouse, unless your, work, your spouse works at Apple, she's not going to basically want to keep the money there. So she won't be able to make any for, uh, she won't really um, be inclined to leave it there. She might as well put it in an IRA where she has more investment options and lower fees. So that's generally what happens. Same with spouses. If you pass away with a 401k, it goes into an IRA, spousal or non-spousal. IRAs obviously stay in the IRA world. One industry note, if you have an inherited IRA, you cannot roll the money into a 401k. Inherited IRAs cannot be converted to Roth. They have to stay in the inherited world. But you need to remember, spousal, pre-tax or Roth, goes into the spouse's name, non-spouse, individual versus trust, life expectancy versus five years, stretch, um, and then kind of see where you're at. So just wanted to kind of educate people, talk about inherited IRAs. Since we're in December, end of the year, people start thinking about valuations, thinking about what they need to take by 1231 for the prior year. People want to do estate planning. Um, and I just get these questions a lot end of year. And it, it's something that I wanted to kind of re-educate people on. I've written a number of Forbes articles on uh, inherited IRAs. I've done some podcasts and videos on them, but just want to kind of have another one out there to uh, refresh everyone a little bit on, on the rules uh, because it's important, again, to just keep spousals and non-spousals separate and then break down pre-tax versus Roth, individuals versus trusts, and that will funnel you into the right answer. Adam Bergman, IRA Financial, uh, happy holidays. Uh, thanks for watching and listening. 
Um, really appreciate it. Now, please subscribe to our channel. There's new videos and podcasts each week, generally two a week, uh, but generally a podcast. Adam talks every week. Uh, comments, questions, leave them. Love hearing from everyone. Thanks again for watching and listening and until next time.